0: Well, here we are back again, Leah, you yeah. and I. Because um, yeah. believe it or not, people actually listen to our podcasts. So we've actually come back to do some more. Yeah. The noise in the background, I must just say. So to set the scene for everybody, we actually do this in our office, which is right in the middle of the farm. So if I'm looking out the window now, I'm seeing the cows coming in for milking. So sometimes you can hear a bit of them jumping around on the rubber matting going into the parlour, playing about, fighting. That's actually... Um, well, of the dogs trying to get into the office so we've locked the doors but there's still some dogs in here dogs walking around we've got tom driving past on the tractor singing so there's lots of stuff going on there'll be somebody coming in and out so that's how we do it but if we don't do it like this we wouldn't get time to do
1: it (laughs) (laughs) grab your glass of fresh milk. It's another episode of Chewing the Cud with Karen and Leah.
0: So today I chose the title. The title for this for me is Careers, Cows and Corpses. Sounds a bit morbid maybe, but I think we both wanted to talk a little bit about staffing and the industry and people working in the industry. Yeah. From my point of view, I wanted to talk about those three things because they're all really linked as in I'm going to cover a bit about careers and what I think um, about how people talk about farming as a career in school. Then I go on to cows. So I'm going to say a little bit about the people I look for to recruit in our business and what's really important to me that they have. And then um, something which people and farms especially I find don't like talking about which is actually the corpses bit, which is getting rid of people. I don't actually have a problem with that, as you know. Not that I've ever got rid of you. Uh, Not that you're on my list, but um, I'm I'm glad to hear it (laughs) yet. Uh, It's, it's really important that we don't keep the dead wood. And I really want to talk about that because it's something if I ever talk at a conference or I present to anybody about, about staffing and it's something whenever somebody asks, um, say I go to a discussion group or go in or a discussion group comes here, you know, I always say, well, give us some topics that want to talk about and staffing is always one of them it is a massive problem in our industry so I just want to cover a bit about how I sort of feel about staff and and
1: when I do get rid of people and why yeah Uh, what I want to talk about in this podcast is um kind of developing a future farming career so um my background is very different um to Kaz's and I'm not from farming so I'm going to talk about my route in what opportunities I've been given, um, the technology that we've got to work with. And the fact that farming isn't just about shoveling muck nowadays, you know, we need to think about all the technology that we can use um, and able to fine tune everything that we do. Um, it's a business at the end of the day. So we're thinking about all these tiny little wins that we can make um, and we can do that because we've got this technology Cool. So shall I start? Yeah. I'll start on
0: careers because I'm a lot older than you. So it was a long, long time ago, obviously when I was at school. But with careers at school, I remember meeting with a careers officer. So he told me, going by my um, history at school and probably how I didn't conform, and I hated school, if we're really honest. When I met with him, he told me that probably I needed to look at a job working with animals. Now that could have been down to I probably stank of horses most days when I was at school, because I would have mucked out in the morning or before I went to school, especially in winter, you'd smell me because the heating would come on in the classroom. <laughs> and when I got warmed up, then that's when it really smelled. I often noticed that in the dentist as well. <laughs> um, so, um, and I think it was a, it was a thing I didn't get told to go into agriculture. It was maybe it was just working that. And I think they told me to look at, dog handling and horses as well, but it wasn't necessarily, they didn't talk about agriculture, but I know sometimes when they did um, talk about agriculture or, and I know it's always been a thing is it was almost something that I suppose being blunt, it was for the, for the thick kids. Mm. So it had always sort of been, Oh yeah. You know, they're not very bright or they're not very clever. Um, yeah. They'd probably do well in farming, Um, which I think is really sad. Mm. And you know, obviously we know nowadays, and that's what you're gonna talk a bit more about, is you know, the sort of technical side of farming. Yeah. It basically I think what they did, they did what they did they've done with milk really and devalued it. It was portrayed as a job for thick people. Um, should I say non-academics, a bit like <laughs> myself. A bit like milk, like I said, being devalued, um, used as a lost leader. So I have to get that in. I like to talk about milk and anything we do. Yeah. So, you know, the truth is milk is a highly nutritional, versatile product. It's actually produced in this country with some of the highest welfare and sustainability standards in the world, which just improves all of the time. You know, the more we learn, we're always looking to improve that. And then if you liken that to the people working in agriculture, you've got to like be so highly versatile to work in agriculture. You've got to be so adaptable. You've got to have the ability to think on your feet while showing you know, if you're working with animals, you've got to show compassion, care, patience. Likewise, if you're working in arable, you've got to grow food and crops. You've got to be a skilled machinery operator. You've got to work with the weather, finding solutions when the weather's working against you. Uh, you've got to have passion still again about growing and producing Some of the most valuable food and crops for our country. You know, we feed people, it's mega important. We actually feed people. We're not making expensive handbags or even cheap fakes. You know, we're actually feeding people with healthy, nutritious food. So, you know, you've got to have a lot of dedication and passion to do that. So, you know, to work on a farm, you're not thick. Years ago, you just might not have been the most academic at school, a little bit like myself. I hated school. And although I went to have an amazing career later on in legal recruitment, I'd have been one of those people that would rather be riding horses, rearing calves, holding a brush in my hand, doing more manual stuff rather than sitting in an office. Running a business, which funnily enough, that's what I tend to do more of now. Uh, Filling in numerous amounts of paperwork, um, which you know, when I came home to work, I didn't know anything about red tractor farm assurance, anything about you know SFI, which is were you know it's it's just so complicated that you know red, red tractor. So we I always get and I forget because there's a lot of people that listen to us that don't have anything to do with farming, so. Red tractor is the food standard. That is the food standard um, mark on your. So if you go into a supermarket and hopefully the milk you pick up, if you look on the back, has a red tractor food standard. So we've been audited to meet lots and lots of standards to produce that product. There's an awful lot that goes into that. And when we get audited, you know, it's the audit can be like four or five hours. Um, there's lots of paperwork to go through, you know, along the way I made a lot of mistakes because again, you know, I'm not that person that relishes being in the office and setting up systems and filing. And it's just not me, probably not what I envisaged for myself when I left school, but I'm doing it. I do it to the best of my ability. I would say out of the two of us, Leah, Obviously, you would be far more academic than me. That's why you are training to be a vet. Yeah, I would be the manual labour, maybe with a hint of. Um, now I can use a computer while well, I've been able to use a computer for a long time. But you know, I even managed to post on Facebook now. Um, I don't do the uh, I don't do the Twitter account. Well, a little bit I do Twitter, but. You know, I stay miles away from TikTok because nobody ever likes my posts on TikTok because I use old fashioned music, family Dance music. I love dance music. I don't know what's up with everybody. Um, so you're the person, who develops all the all sort of all singing, all dancing graphs and data, you know, yeah. which is absolutely invaluable to our business. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I did forget to mention my other skill, which is talking. Um, or probably just going on a little bit. So I'm gonna shut up now and I'm gonna give you a chance to yeah. kind of put your perspective um on
1: on careers mm-hmm. in our in our industry. Yeah. Um it's really interesting about um school and what you're sort of shown about agriculture at school because to me, well, when I was at school, it was never even mentioned. So It wasn't something I left school thinking I was going to go into and I'd always wanted to work with animals and it, the only reason I was, was sorry, Doris, can you leave the building please because you're way too loud. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, The only reason I was exposed to agriculture was because I chose to go to Harper Adams University and uh, I studied veterinary nursing. So I'd never chose to do agriculture. I was just exposed to it through university. And whilst I was there, uh, the people kind of that were around me inspired me to go into the large animal side of farming. So kind of stumbled into it. And then I've realized now the technicalities of farming, it's not what people think it is. And like you were saying, it's, well, crudely (laughs) saying it's for the thick people, but I never even, I just didn't have an opinion of it until I went to university. And then I realized all these people are doing agriculture degrees. Well, they must be needing to learn a lot about the industry. Well, for it to be a degree. Yeah. To make a degree out of it. So... It just shows how much knowledge a lot of it requires. And when I came out of university, I kind of, well, I started as TB testing. Where I've got to now, I feel like I can inspire other people to come into it. Um, And that's why I've done a lot of things that I've done is to encourage others to be as passionate and positive about it and show that the effort that we put in from the start is why we get the amazing results that we yeah. get um so a couple of things that I've done in the past so I did a career I went back to Harper and did a careers talk um to a group of veterinary nurses so obviously younger years after I'd graduated and that was about where agriculture could take them and as I was doing the talk I realized like the paths and the avenues you can go down and all the different things that you can explore within agriculture isn't just a one kind of one size fits all thing you can there's so many things you can do and we keep our knowledge and um the technology that we need to sort of know about everything's up to date from things that we attend so we go to events like cultivate We've which is brilliant yeah
0: um, Run by. so that was
1: andy venables wasn't yeah. it from hills green
0: marketing i don't know if i don't think there's gonna i'm not that i know of there's one next year but there is when it's been, it's yeah. been amazing. Yeah. If there is, I am very much um, up for sending as many people to that yeah. as I can. So I think the two years we've been, we've had a table um, and that has been some really sort of inspiring people talking. Yeah. I remember we listened to the lady who, oh, what's that service called? T-Bay. T-Bay. <laughs> T-Bay. Oh my like, God. So T-Bay. And I remember her talking you know, and that was because they were farmers Mm. in Cumbria and somebody came along and put a motorway right through their farm. Mm. So instead of just going, oh, this is horrendous, we're going to have to sell all the animals and come out of agricultural farming, or we'll have to buy a farm elsewhere. I think it was her father turned around and went, well, okay, then what can I do to make the most of this? Mm. And now they've got, you know, one of the biggest businesses and and motorway service stations, Mm. they've got two, and I've heard, I think they're going to be building another one. I'm sure I've heard that recently. Um, In the country, not only doing that, but selling local produce, Mm. you know, and other farmers' produce, you know, so from meat, and they do breads, they do cakes and all that sort of thing. But then they do, um, like, liqueurs and gins, Mm. and Mm. they do beer and, Um, ciders, they do so much stuff. I mean, you know, that's, it's phenomenal, really. Mm. So, you know, I learned a lot from that cultivate. Um, but yeah, so if Andy's listening, you owe me a few quid for this. (laughs) Um, No, that's not why I did it. It is, it was actually really brilliant. So I just want to sort of demonstrate that there's so many things like out there. So when we went to that cultivate, the first one we went to, I remember taking Ruby. And I think Ruby was 16 at the time. And somebody said to me, oh, you know, don't you think Ruby's a bit young for taking to things like that? I think she might have still been at school, you know, but she'd worked for me on weekends and in school holidays. And my answer was, if somebody had have taken me to something like that at 16 and opened me up Mm. to that information or sitting and being a part of something like that, you know, my skills and life skills and career would have taken up far more quicker. You now I had to wait to get into my like mid to late twenties until
1: I got into recruitment before I was like, uh, you know, having those sort of experiences. Yeah. And there's been lo- loads of events like that. So um total dairy was another one. Um even on farm events like we've had uh, Dr. Alex Bat here, haven't we? Because yeah. um we were a strategic dairy farm um uh, with AHDB. So so again we need to explain AHDB is the agricultural
0: Horticultural Development Board, and they we pay a levy to them. So for every litre of milk we produce, we pay a levy, which then goes into funding research, to training farmers, to, I mean, they do a whole host of things. Yeah. There's a lot of information they have and carry, and one of their projects they set up was something called Strategic Farms, which they went out and found farms who are looking to sort of change things and better things and who will try things. And sometimes you might fail, but you also um, might not and do something really good. And we signed up, I think we were the second farm to go onto that project. And this was going back probably six years ago, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, I know we were on it for a lot longer than we should have been. I think you do like a three year term. But you have like um farmers come on farm. So in the early days, and they've changed um changed it a little bit now. But in the early days, you had four meetings a year, and you would have like a speaker in, say uh Dr. Alex Bach, he would come in and uh we'd look at something like we talked about our heifers at the meeting we did and how we grow them, we get them in calf and what age the calf down at. And they come in and you talk about, but you have to give all your KPIs mm-hmm. for your farm. So you've got to be open just showing everybody. Um, Something I say quite crudely is it is a bit like dropping your pants in public. So, but you need to do that. And if you don't do that and you hide things, there's no point doing it. Mm. But for us, it was really sort of business changing. It was, you know, a fantastic thing for us to do um, because we learned so much and it opened doors to speakers coming in on farm or people and experts in the industry that we could never have, have got to. You no know, people um we had Jim Reynolds from America who was i think he was a something like he advised the government, I think he was a vet um and he was he was brilliant and he came on farm, but he went round everything and looked at everything he left no stone unturned stone unturned so um you know how how could you ever get to somebody like him i couldn't so that that gave us that ability which changed our business because those sort of experts coming on farm and saying to you well if you do this you know you're going to get a better result Mm. you're never going to say no No. you're stupid if you don't do it yeah um so yeah so yeah so many things to learn
1: the fact that we can work well yeah work alongside industry experts is it makes the job so much more interesting than what people think I think especially if we've got like apprentices like we've got If they're able to have access to these people, that's, that's inspiring in itself because they can gain knowledge that they wouldn't necessarily gain at college or it's like the real world, isn't it? That's then real life examples, real, real people that have, you know, can explain how they've got to where they've got to. And it's invaluable to those people and me as well. Um, So going back to,
0: so say I'd have said to you when you were at school, yeah would you like a career in farming yeah what would have been the picture in your head um
1: a typical <laughs> farm with one farmer pretty isolated um a few animals i wouldn't have ever expected a team of people and you know having the the camaraderie that there is here and um Never, ever to this scale. It would have okay. been a little farm. That's that's what I would have had pictured in my head. And I think if I'd have been asked back then, I would have said no. Yeah. Because I hadn't had my eyes open to it. Okay, that's fair enough. So how many years ago were you at school? Um, <laughs> <tens>? <laughs> <laughs> oh About ten? About ten years ago would have been just before... I'd have had any kind of inkling of farming. Considering you're academic, you have to think about that for
0: quite a long time. Do you want a calculator? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's not good, it? That's So mine really would have good. been a lot longer ago. So yeah. 10 years ago, there would have been very large scale, professional, big businesses out yeah. there, farming. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. those opportunities would have been there. Yep. But again, you weren't open to those opportunities and you didn't live in a city, did you? No, it was
1: rural, but not... Um, not livestock farmers. There was a lot of arable. So you wouldn't, I suppose you wouldn't come across farmers that had livestock, which is what I would have been interested in coming from animals, like wanting to do animal stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. There wouldn't have been anything. So I would have been at school a lot longer
0: ago. So there would have been more smaller farms. So where I lived, I lived in Sandbach, which is near Bradwall. So that's where I originally went to work. Um, was on a, on a yard where we had some race horses, we had some eventing horses, but they were on an estate. So they actually lived in the manor on the estate and a lot of farms were tied to that manor. But a lot of those farms would have been like 30 cows or 50 mm. cows. And maybe one of the biggest ones would have been a hundred cows, you know, so that would have been more normal. When I think back now and I look at that estate, I don't think there's a single original farm on there milking cows. Now I know somebody is milking cows Mm. on there and that's actually the son of, of the people that have got the estate. Um, but back in the day, he wouldn't have been milking those cows. Mm. You know, he was at, at, um, university. So, so yeah. So when I look back and think about that, that would have been more the norm. Mm. So I suppose the teachers saw that and thought, you know, one man isolated on a farm, one farmer, Mm -hmm. you know, we say man, Mm -hmm. but it would have you know, that would have been even more prominent that it would have been a man, you know, and I imagine with a pitchfork in one hand and a wheelbarrow next to him and a shed with some cattle in it behind. So, and it is, I cannot say how far removed Mm. it is from that now. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) There's still those people out there and that's that's still happening. And I think that's lovely and it's great. Yeah. Um, and don't get me wrong, running all this lot, there's days where I wish I was on a farm with 20 cows and mm. a pitchfork and a wheelbarrow, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are days when I feel like that,
1: um, but not very often, luckily. Yeah. Um, I suppose as well, on a on another note as well, the AHDB um, broadcast that happened um, in August, so that was on developing your future farming career. Um, and... I said on that podcast, uh, on that broadcast, that there wasn't a day that I felt like my job didn't satisfy me. So, I, every day I felt job satisfaction, and that's even with a veterinary nursing degree. So, I've come out of veterinary nursing um to do this job, so calf rearing. And some people would probably think, "Why would you do that? You know, you were a professional. Why would you do that?" But there's so many things in my job that the skills are transferable for yeah. so um the point i'm getting at is that even though i've got a profession it doesn't mean that farming doesn't allow me to practice those skills still if that makes sense yeah so, absolutely within farming yeah um yeah. and also the the things that you learn so i've obviously gone to the university route but you can go through the college route um but say like the uh, statistical side of things so Academically, there's no way I would be able to put monthly reports together that's analysing, you know, heifer weights that we do, colostrum, blood total proteins. I wouldn't be able to do that and make the grass if I hadn't have learned those skills from a degree. So I just I just think like even though you've got a degree doesn't mean you shouldn't go into farm because the technology and everything, it you need those skills, I think now to be the top of the game. You know, oh, absolutely. And I think, and again, we just need to kind of clarify. So what we do with carbs
0: is we weigh them because we look or oh, we assess their daily live weight gain. So that's how many kilos they're putting on a day during the first part of their life. So reason we do that is a bit like when you have a baby, you feed a baby and you need to know that it's being fed enough to grow and to be healthy and to be happy. So we do that colostrum is that. First um, milk from that calf's mother. We take that colostrum and we measure it on a refractometer. So we're testing the the it's called IgG. Yep. Can you say the word? Because I'm really immunoglobulins. Thank you in the milk <laughs> in the colostrum. Can't say that word. Yeah, protein. I can just Prote- not very yeah. well. So we're looking for the protein. So this is. Um, The goodness, just like in colostrum, in human colostrum, we're passing that on to that calf like a mother would pass it on to her baby. I think one of the differences that we need to remember, though, um, is a calf is born with no immune system. So it is up to us to get that done really speedily, quickly cleanly it's that will set the calf up for its life and will be the difference between that calf going on to great things and having a happy healthy life or not so we we are really serious about that at that point and then we record it so we will record the quality of that clostrum and um, the quantity will record how much that calf drank um at that point in time and then we keep all of that data. So we've got that data going back to, I think, about 2014, haven't we? Yeah. Um, and we can go back. So, for instance, now, if we're looking at something, so sometimes the cows um, don't give us good quality or quantity of colostrum sometimes. So we could go a few weeks where a cow's a calf's born and we milk the cow and we just don't get what we want in quality and, and quantity. Um, and then it's up to Leah to start going back, fact-finding, so is it a certain time of year? So you'll put that data into a spreadsheet and you'll yep. look at it and say, okay, this time last year, this did happen or it didn't. Is it weather dependent? Is it um, dietary for the for the mum when she's in her holiday period? So what we call a dry period um, when she's not giving milk and she's having her holiday while she's pregnant. So it's like a maternity leave. And we'll look at that. Um, And they're all sort of facts and figures and stats where we can try and build a picture as to why that's happening, that we
1: can put it right. Yeah, we'll see patterns, trends um, that happen year on year. And that means that that particular time of year, almost like don't panic, this happened in previous years. And it's because of, I don't know, the forage quality or, you know, nutrition or whatever it is. Or heat. Or heat's
0: another one. Yeah. Um, when it's very hot. So in summer we we take a drop and that's just purely because um, the cows that are in the maternity period in their own shed won't be getting up to eat as much and drink, which is about a bit like us in summer, isn't it? Mm. You know, I could just lie there on a sun lounger and never move all day on holiday. It's great. Yeah. And um, I don't want to be bothered to go and eat and drink. So I just wait for Tom to bring everything to me. <laughs> <or> else, <laughs> so that's what he's there for. Um, I married him to do that. So um, if that didn't happen, I probably wouldn't eat and drink. Mm. Um, and that's what what happens with cows. But we know that yeah. because we record the weather mm. at the time as well.
1: Yeah. And similarly with calves um, in the diary that we record everything in in the mornings, the temperature gets written down and sort of the climate as well. So if it's really wet or windy or we can write that down so we can look back. And if we've got an outbreak of something, we can see that, oh, that's been really warm and wet and that might correspond to a small outbreak of pneumonia of pneumonia or...
0: because for calves are, are tiny their lungs are developing and you know they've got small lungs and uh, changes in humidity you know we do vaccinate for that yeah for pneumonia but you know up till them getting really a bit older they're always they're at risk aren't they really yeah,
1: yeah. with that information that we can gather um, and graphs we can make that makes it much a much easier visual representation of what's going on so we were just talking earlier about sharing the graphs with the rest of the team because that shows the rest of the team what we're working towards so I said as well I don't think I could do my job as well if I couldn't see the results of what it is that we're doing yeah and how how well we're doing or if there's small wins to be made somewhere that's by monitoring and doing all these things, that's the best way of seeing where we can make improvements because if we didn't measure it, we wouldn't know. You wouldn't know and you couldn't change it either. No. Um, and that's where your strength comes in
0: because I want to see the graph and I want the information, yeah. but I do not want to put it together. <laughs> so I don't want to be drawing. I can give you the information because I've recorded it. I don't mind recording it, mm. but it's when it comes to putting it in that graph Yeah. and pulling all that information together, making it look fancy that's not my forte, but I want the information at the end of it.
1: Yeah. Um, so we spoke about colostrum. So we can look at patterns of colostrum. We can also look at so we take um bloods from the calf from every calf and we can plot a graph at the end of the month and we can see what's um, so can I stop you there? Because yeah. again, we've got to remember, I know that there's a few farmers that have told me they
0: listen, yeah. but there is a few people as well <laughs> that come to the milk shack yeah. that listen yeah. and buy milk from the vending machine who um, do listen as well. And I believe we've got some, we've got listeners in America, you know, Yeah, and um, we've got listeners around the world. I think somebody's listened yeah. to us, a few in Germany, yeah. Holland. Yeah. Um, now I don't know if they're farmers or not, but yeah. so we've got to say so when good. we say we take bloods, that yeah. sounds a bit harsh, but You are very, very professional at it. You've trained Shauna as well, who's the assistant rearer and she's fantastic at it. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're so gentle and careful, um, when you're doing it. Yeah. Um, so nobody be alarmed. It's quite a normal thing to do. Yep. Um, and then you're measuring those bloods, so you
1: tell people why. So we're, it's very non-invasive. So we're we're just taking a a mill and a half of blood. Um, they don't even feel it. And we spin the bloods down in our own, uh, what we call a centrifuge. It splits the blood and then we can test for immunoglobulins, which is, um, a protein in the blood and we read it and it'll tell us whether they've achieved passive transfer of immunity. So that basically means that they've gained enough immunity from their mother's colostrum, um, which is the first milk in order to basically set them up for the first few days of their life and then their own immunity then takes over yeah um, it just gives them a the first bit of a boost doesn't it in their yeah. life and i think what is it about seven
0: days Their own well six to yeah. seven or eight days i think it is their own immunity takes over yeah yeah i'm trying to think of my graph
1: yeah there's a graph isn't there in yeah. the graph. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we, we're we looking, when we're plotting our graph, to make sure that, uh, well, our target would be 100%, wouldn't it? But yeah. we've got to be realistic, I suppose. Um, 80% or more reaching um, the target. And we're doing that. We might notice that if the colostrum's been poorer one particular month, we will see a natural decrease yeah. in the blood results, um, which is expected. So we don't get any nasty surprises because we know what's coming. But that's because we measure it because and we
0: monitor it. it. So yeah. that's why we know those sort of things are going to happen. Yeah. If we didn't measure and monitor it, you didn't do these graphs. You didn't. We didn't collect information. We'd just be. We'd be in the dark. Yeah. We wouldn't have a clue, no. and then we'd probably be looking at all the wrong things. Yeah. Or lots of, we'd be scrabbling around in the dark and that would just cost a lot of money. Yeah. So when you set out into this job, did you ever think farming would get that, I was going to say technical, but I suppose to some people it might be technical doing all that kind of stuff. But I suppose because we do it, I don't feel it's technical. It's just what we do. Yeah. Um, But if somebody, probably when I came into farming, like, what will it be now? Probably 14 years ago, I think mm. it is. Um, no, I didn't think anybody, you know, it was just what they say is muck and magic. Yeah. I always thought it was just muck and magic. Yeah. You know, you just milk some cows, put it in a tank and off it went. Yeah. I never envisaged all this goes on behind the scenes and it blows my mind really yeah. that it does. Yeah. So is that, um, as an industry then, mm. do you think we're good at bad or bad At telling people or demonstrating just what there is in the industry for people to do, just, you know, do we on the surface just make it look like it is a bit of muck and magic?
1: Yeah. I think it's a case of if you delve, you'll find it. So it's not, it doesn't smack you in the face. And I Mm -hmm. think how I see everything that we do is that I'm using the technology that's there. I suppose it's because I'm up to date with everything. We've been to these events and, you know, we're not missing anything because we've got the knowledge. So I've, I've been to uni, I've done, I've been to the events, got, all this knowledge is collated. I'm using the technology that's there, but that's because I want to. I think yeah. if you don't want to access it, then you can just be like, you know, it's not, it's not there and just get on with farming as normal. I just think we have to push it, Out there
0: (laughs) onto people because if you don't expose people to things, then they don't become something, do they? So, you know, it's a bit like, um, so an apprentice here. So we've got two apprentices at the moment. One's doing cows and doing animal stuff. The other one's doing more on the machinery and crops and stuff. So we're kind of exposing them both, but we're exposing the one that's doing the crops and we're exposing him to like our agronomist. So that would be something when he came into this industry that he never thought was going to be a job even. He probably, I don't think he even really knew what an agronomist was. Mm. So that's somebody that, you know, now this is going to pressure me because I couldn't technically tell you what an agronomist does. All I know is <laughs> they do a lot to do with crops, soil, nutrients, um. God, Dave Harris at BCW is going to really batter me for this because <laughs> I, be, I should be selling this really well. But agronomy is really technical and I don't understand it. Yeah. But, um, so our apprentice, though, is really getting interested in it because he was going to start on cows. He, was going to, he wanted to come here as an apprentice. It was a lad that did um, weekend work for us for a year or so. And when he left school, he wanted to do an apprenticeship with livestock and then go on to Harper Adams. He ended up... I took him on a field walk measuring grass um, when we were growing grass for grazing last year with Dave Harris, and we started talking about soils. And I was counting worms and I was looking at soil health. We started talking about not plowing because we don't, we haven't plowed for quite a long time to help the soils and the structures. And then we started talking about something called sumo in, which is something to do with soil again when you're preparing fields <laughs> <laughs> cropping is not my thing um that side of the business is not my strong point um I'm very animal focused mm. and um about feeding and things like that and it took him in a totally different direction which I've got to be honest I was slightly disappointed because I really wanted him to go on to the animal side of thing yeah. but then obviously Charlotte came along as well and has ended up going on the animal apprenticeship which is great um but if that's i I suppose we exposed him to another anim- avenue. Yeah, you know, and he might now go into a career as you know he could go into a career of as a nutritionist. So actually feeding cows because also he's he's done a bit of work with Steph our nutritionist lady. Um, you know, will he learn to feed cows and do that kind of thing, or will he go to? to working with soils and cropping and, you know, maize and silage and all those sort of things. Yeah. I don't know. But had we not have exposed him to that, he would never
1: know. Yeah. The other thing as well, like the fact that he wants to go on to do a degree potentially at Harper Adams, that's also staying ahead of the game as well, because everyone seems to be at the minute coming out with these degrees, don't they? Mm. And I feel like you almost... That, Like I was saying before, that shows the technicality of the way agriculture is going because most people now probably feel like they've got to have a degree to be up there with everybody. You're competing now, I think, as well, aren't you, with other people in agriculture? So then we've got all
0: these things like, so if you go to the machinery side of stuff, Mm. um, we've got all these um, pieces of kit that we put on machinery which maps the fields. Yeah. So you, you put these, a lot of people get these nicked actually. And I must remind Joe to see if he's bought ours in off the tractor because, um, these pieces of kit are a lot of money and you fix it onto your tractor and it zooms up to a satellite. This is how I understand it. It's probably <laughs> totally wrong, but again, you know, it's not my side of the business. Um, and it zooms up to a satellite and plots out your field. And so when you're going up and down, um, doing field work like planting something or spreading muck or fertilizer whatever you're doing it literally drives the tractor for you in a straight line Mm. in the right place so it is quite phenomenal really um now i got on that i know joe um he works for us he does all that kind of stuff for us he's a whiz on it And he he puts this little pod thing in the tractor and he presses a few buttons and off it sets and it does everything and it bleeps at the right places and it does all these sort of things. When Tom takes it, I've been with Tom a few times. And we went and did some field work a few months ago. Jay was off, and Tom and I gets the piece of kit, you know, and he's plugging it all in, and then it's bleeping in the wrong places and shouting at him. And it doesn't bleep, it just goes like this. <laughs> sound. So there's a lot of that goes on. So then there's a lot of, you know, language going on. Um, and we start going up and down fields, and then I'm looking behind us, going, Ooh, where you've mowed there, that you've missed a bit oh, it'll be all right, it'll be all right. And then I find we're going across the field the other way then. So we stopped going up and down and then we're having to go side to side oh to God. catch up the bits we've missed. And of course it was all the kit's fault. You know, obviously this this thing piece of kit didn't work. Um, and he'd all, I think at that point, he'd actually rang Joe and asked him over the phone how to set it up and he still couldn't do it. So, so you know, um, but you know, it's great. So it isn't for everybody and not everybody can work these things. Mm-hmm especially not a 54 year old farmer sometimes. (laughs) Um, But I think for younger people coming into the industry, it's kind of what they're probably expecting. You know, I know a lot of people are playing on Playstations and playing farming simulators on Playstations Mm. and stuff. So I think it's only natural when they come into our industry, they want to see that, that kind of, Yeah. Kit, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. And that way of farming. Yeah. That's going to be the
1: attractive thing, isn't it? It is. And just like
0: we have robots that milk cows, you know? Yeah. Great. If that's, it's not for us at Mm -hmm. the moment, it's not something we want to do. Mm -hmm. Um, we love what we've got in our parlor, but I think for, for some people, that's going to be what they want. And they're going to be people like you probably as well that are very data driven. Mm -hmm. You know, they love getting the data because I know those robots give you some serious data about cows and how many times they've been into milk and how much milk they gave and what the fats and solids are in the milk. And it's all really great information that you get there and then. Um, so yeah. And, and so we should be keeping up. Yeah. Why not? And we need to attract this talent. Yeah into the industry, whether they want to, there's a place for
1: everybody mm. in this industry. Mm. There is a place and a job for everybody. Yeah. Like, especially with Charlotte on the cow, uh, the cow side of things, for me, I almost like want to get her onto the calves, like the young stock. And, you know, you just don't know where this could take her. So for me, you know, tr- teaching and training someone in you know, taking bloods or disbudding calves, monitoring them, um okay so let's go budding. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're the best. So disbudding. Come on. Um is where this is this is for safety purposes so when the cow grows up it doesn't have massive horns that become dangerous to us and other cows. Um so when the calf is very young so um a couple of weeks old they're knocked down which is just a sedation by the vet. Um, and we remove the tiny little bud that would grow into a big horn when they're an adult. Um, and they're completely unaware of it. They get, um, anti inflammatory pain relief. Um, and it is done under local anesthetic, uh, around the site, which we're mo- removing the bud from. So they don't know anything's happening and it's a quick recovery. Um, they get back up within a couple of hours and they start drinking their milk again and then none the wiser. And start running around. Start running around, then none the wiser. So I liken it
0: to years ago when I was younger and had a tooth out at the dentist, I'd go to the dentist. And in those days, the dentist used to inject you mm. um, and give you a, an anaesthetic. And I'd get knocked out like with anaesthetic. I'd wake up and I'd be in the recovery room, just sort of spitting a bit of blood out of my mm. mouth. Um, and I wouldn't have ever known. Whereas I hear those stories of people that have been to the dentist mm. and they've had a local anesthetic and then they can almost, you know, somebody's pulling this tooth and pull it and the dentist has almost got his knee on your chest, yeah. pulling this tooth out. And I've heard some horrific stories and I've never been through anything like that because I was fast asleep and I never ever knew yeah. anything about it. Yeah. So to be able to do that for our carbs, because like you say, it is, it is for them, you know, if we don't do it, it's really dangerous for yeah. them as well as us. Yeah um so no absolutely and if we can do it that way that's the way we need to do it
1: yeah and as part of the the sedation process they've obviously got to be monitored um because the drugs we're using can cause them to their breathing to um reduce so i'm teaching charlotte about things like that um and like the importance of good hygiene um we can work with our vets to investigate disease. Um, so we've done post mortems on the farm and Shauna's has helped with those and she's been really interested in those. So you and routine and surgical, like other surgical procedures, if we need to do them, everybody can get involved if they want. But if you're particularly interested in it, that could then spark something. Yeah, that could know? inspire. So if somebody watches a cesarean, yeah. which I think we're really lucky we have very,
0: very few. Very few. Yeah. So I think, um, but we did have one about two months ago, or maybe not that long ago, actually. Um, now, I think it was at night, was it that one? Yeah. Had everybody been around in the day, you know, people would have gone and watched that. Mm. Now, say somebody who is an apprentice here saw that happening and just thought, well, they would just stay on a farm or they might be a head herds person or something. It might actually inspire them to go, wow, surgery is amazing, I want to know more about that and one day go and be a vet. Yeah. Or, you know, go yeah. and and do some different sort of farm work yeah. in a in a way that, you know, they might start working in labs from that in yeah. research. I mean, who knows? You know, yeah. you just don't know. But again, if somebody's not exposed to that, then ever you're never not opening a, a door,
1: are you? No. Um, and even things like vaccinating, I c- can talk through how a vaccination works, why we're giving it. Um, how to administer it safely you know and we can do sessions with our vets as well don't we do like little mini courses don't we everyone can come in on them um so yeah there's there's a lot of complexity that you just wouldn't know like I just wouldn't yeah. have known that before um until you're in the industry and it's a total case of you get out what you put in yeah don't, isn't it it, yeah. it is yeah. um and I really enjoy writing protocol like health protocols. Once we've had a session with the vet, we can review protocols like mastitis. I'm gonna go off and say things aren't and we're gonna have to explain it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so mastitis, which is obviously inflammation of the udder, uh, metritis, which is inflammation of uterine tissue, um, which is which is to do with calving.
0: So yeah. sometimes cows get that. So it is this all happens to people as well, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, you know, yeah. People get mastitis yeah. when they've had a baby.
1: Yeah. Um and we're making these protocols to better the farm, you know, to tighten up things uh potentially going wrong or need improving, um, even down to like fertility. So we've recently uh redone our breeding protocol, haven't we? Yeah, we have. Um, and that is so that we can fine-tune everything. So we want our heifers carving down at 22 months that is it's a no what's what's the word non-negotiable yeah <laughs> um all our targets are non-negotiable so everyone is striving for the same thing aren't they and yeah. my conclusion from this
0: conversation or how i feel and more so now because hearing how you know you think about it and how mm. much in-depth stuff you go into i think as i as i've said just previously there is a job for everybody yep So if you want to go on farm and you work somewhere where you can be measuring colostrum and total blood protein in carbs, and you can be going out, measuring grass and talking to an agronomist, looking at soils, and you can do all of those things. And it's all amazing. And you can work with robots that milk cows. You can drive tractors that have like, I want to call it sat satellite navigation, but I don't think it is that. GPS Um, is GPS. It's GPS. Of course it is. And um, I should know that. I've paid for the damn thing. Um, (laughs) I'd rather have bought something for the cars, but I had to buy something for machinery. It breaks my heart. Um, So so GPS, there's all these things. But even so, say you did just want to sit on a scraper tractor. Mm. And you want to scrape the yards. You want, I mean, I love that kind of thing. Mm. I love cleaning the beds off mm. for the cows. I love cleaning the calf pens, washing the water buckets, feeding the calves. You know, if you still only want to do that, then that is totally acceptable. Yep. And we need really good people to do that with attention to detail yep. that make sure everything is clean, that clean the froth, the um, feed troughs out yep. and aren't afraid of that grafty bit you know, because it is graft mm. and it is hard work. Yeah. Um, and those people are as valued as anybody else. So any of the people that come on a weekend and scrape beds off and move cows around and scrape yards up that come, you know, on a weekend from school are just as valuable yeah, we to need me them. Yeah. as you are mm. sitting here getting me all these graphs and this information. Um and keeping my cows and my calves as healthy as what they are. Yeah. Is how I would feel about it. Yeah. And there's lots of places to go yeah. in this industry. Definitely. Thanks for listening
1: to part one of Careers, Cows, and Corpses. In the second episode, we'll explore cows and corpses and how they're an important part of Holton Farm's philosophy. If this episode has inspired you to find out more about farming and careers in farming, then please follow our social channels. You'll find all the links on the episode page, or if you're in Cheshire, call in and speak to one of our team. If you'd like to hear us Chewing the Cud at Holton Farms, like and subscribe. We're available on all your favourite podcast platforms. Chewing the Cud at Holton Farms has been brought to you by me, Leah Griffiths, and me, Karen Holton.